Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with a returning guest, Jeff Grossman. Uh, If you haven't heard his first episode, he was episode three, uh, which is called From Car Salesman to Psychotherapist. And I know you're proud of this. I'm a little proud of this. That is the second most popular episode that we have. It's, It's a big one. That one had a ton of reach. I think people were relating to job changes and kind of like the down-to-earth nature and kind of moving from, you know, essentially um, sales into listening, right? (laughs) Into talking. Um, We got some good feedback around the money pieces, money addiction, um, and kind of what it's like to, um, I guess, just live and be a man in a society in a lot of ways. Man, number two, I feel like... I'm so excited about that. It's like, I love that you use that as my introduction. I'm, I'm thrilled by that. And uh, yeah, I used to do these like little helpful webinars or whatever you would call it a webinar now, which is like how to buy a car. And people used to love it. So maybe I know you're saying it's like job transition, but I think sometimes if you just use the words like car business, it hooks people because everybody's kind of fascinated with like the negotiation, the like, did I win? Did I lose? So I think that's another part of it. So maybe people just got more than they were bargaining for, but yes, something like that. <laughs> yeah, they want to know what's behind the, behind the curtain, right? Of yeah, like curtain, what car. really goes on in the car business. Cause it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very mysterious. Um, yeah. And that's a good segue to our topic, right? Cause I think what we talked about uh, doing this episode on is pulling back the curtain on the therapy business a little bit and talk about, you know, our therapists and the work that we do, whether that be in group, individual, at conferences, doing intensive weekends, and showing people what goes through our head um, and how we kind of uh, get our our crazy out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a story you want and to start with. Yeah. And I think the, the lead in, which that was a great transition and that was magical, but I would also say the other lead in is um, I was going to talk with you about my first experience at AGPA which is also the first time I met you. So it's kind of like a double whammy there a little bit. Kick um, it off. I'm, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's a good uh, story. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess I'm trying to think like how to set the pre, the pre story to the story. So the pre story is, uh, you know, my marriage was experiencing some difficulty. I want to say that was like around Oh nine. And that's when I started doing marital therapy And then ultimately ended up doing group therapy myself with my marriage therapists Um, and was in some version of marriage therapy or group therapy conjointly for it was like marriage therapy therapy for two years and then conjoint group therapy and marriage therapy for an additional three years. So total of five years in therapy. And unlike most of the groups that I bump into at AGPA or as I learn more and more about group, most groups are co-ed. My groups um, in the Southeast, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, single sex, all dudes. And so I had only done group in all of like when I arrived, I think my first AGPA, I want to say was 2016, 2017. My first AGPA 
that's really the first time I was doing group with women. And cause I was basically doing these groups that were all men um, in my therapy. And then we kind of talked a little bit, the car business, I hate to say it, that's a very dude centric business. So I was like, uh, I was mostly just around guys. And so heading into this co-ed, this is basically, um, I'm going to this thing at AGPA. They call it the Institute. I don't know if your listeners are familiar. Do they know what the institutes are? No. Can you tell them what AGPA is and what the format is and <laughs> yeah, give them yeah. kind of a primer on, on what you're talking about here? Yeah, that's a good point. So I went back to grad school and was going back to grad school to become a group therapist. Like that was what I was like into. And then I realized a lot of like kind of along the way, there's no such thing really as a group therapist. Uh, but I wanted to learn more about group. And, you know, you go to grad school for like two and a half years and you basically take one class on group. And I was like, oh, this is so unsatisfactory for what I thought I was going to get. And so AGPA is called the American Group Psychological Association. And so it's a bunch of therapists across the, so therapists are different education levels. It can be psychiatrists, psychologists, um, PsyD, um, LPCs, LMFTs, all that stuff. Everybody is in this one organization that has a, a love and passion, hopefully, or at least a, a focal interest in group therapy, group psychotherapy. So, um, and all of these people get together for a conference for one week, <laughs> which you can imagine is quite a heightened experience. And um, the beginning, the beginning of the conference uh, is two days, which they call the Institute, which is basically you do group therapy all day. Um, so you do typically like two or three sessions in the morning, break for lunch, and then do two sessions in the afternoon. Then you have a night off. Then you come back and do two or three sessions in the morning and two sessions in the afternoon with the same people. So it's uh, just like a big day with one group for or two big days with uh, the same group. And it's quite an experience. Yeah, I really want to highlight that because that's what sold me on AGPA. <laughs> is, so like, just to make it really clear to our listeners, right? It's like we come in as group therapists, right? As professionals that are leaders of these groups for clients. And the script gets flipped where we're members in a group, right? And it's being run by these... You know, I'm going to say famous, but it's famous in quotes because only people in the group therapy world know them, right? I mean, maybe people they're, like... They're be famous. They're be famous, right? I mean, they like maybe some of them maybe wrote a book or they've written like some papers or something, but it's probably yeah. no one you've heard of. But for us, they're big. They're like big famous people, right? Um, and they're running these groups. It is an important, it's an important thing that you make, that you're clarifying, which is like, basically, we become the group members. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so you kind of, it's kind of like you learn by doing your own therapy in the context of one of these two day groups. And so that's basically the best way to explain it. And that's what it is. So, uh, so yeah. So, and so again, you got to remember first time group with women. So, you know, and I, when I start a new group, I am very hesitant to join early on. I have in whatever experiences that I've had both pre like my life. And then I think also in groups, um, I've learned it is never best to be the front runner. So I kind of like lay back. I want to kind of get the lay of the land. Who's doing what, who's saying what personality type, stuff like that. So I want to say the first group, you kind of go over guidelines. You kind of start to get the feel for people. And, uh, I don't talk much in the first group. You take a break. It's probably about an hour and a half. You come back second group starting. And so it was really early in that second group, my first AGPA co-ed second group. And uh, 
I remember the woman across from me says, um, I would like to have air sex with you. And so, you know, I'm kind of, I'm thinking like one, this has never happened to me ever. And I actually, at first I thought that I was sitting next to another guy. And I think I was kind of hoping she was picking the other guy. Like anybody but me. <laughs> yeah. Like, please, please, like, do not let her be talking to me, you know, like, oh. so sure enough, um, she was talking to me and I have no idea. Like, I'm sure it, even now my heart starting to like beat fast, but I'm sure then my heart was probably exploding in my chest thinking like feeling fear, shame, you know, like just every feeling across the board. And I remember, um, I kind of start saying like, well, what exactly is air sex? Like, cause sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, this is my very first AGPA. And so I was definitely in the throes of like, these people have a language that I don't speak. And so maybe like, this is part of what co-ed groups do is air sex. And so we kind of sussed out air sex would kind of be like me, <laughs> you're smiling and the, the listeners can't see you smiling. We're both laughing. So air sex would kind of be like the two of us talking about what it might be like to engage one another sexually, like maybe potentially like up in the center of the group, I guess is the way that I kind of could frame it best. Do you want to add anything to my description? Is that pretty accurate? It's like, it's like the <laughs> least sexy, dirty talk you can imagine. Right. It's like, you're going to talk dirty to each other. You're going to talk dirty to each other, but you're going to be very like intentional and therapeutic. It's it's a weird thing. I I'm smiling because yeah, I saw that at my GPA experience too. And I was like, what is happening? So yeah, it's two people sharing fantasies about how they'd want to have sex with each other um, in front of like, what, like 15 other people, something like that. Like in front of a bunch of other people, a lot of other people. And other professionals, right, that are, like, kind of your colleagues <laughs> and, like, co-workers in some way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Go so ahead. I remember as I kind of am getting the idea of what air sex is, I'm becoming less and less interested. And, and you're describing it accurately. I'm becoming less and less interested in doing this in my second group. So I think I say something to the effect of, like, uh, no. <laughs> like, no, not for me. And I remember the facilitator, she tried to engage me, you know, like as a good facilitator would is like, you know, you're rejecting this other person's bid for intimacy. Um, what's happening for you? And, you know, again, I, this is early on in, in my AGPA and my co-ed group therapy. And so rather than like give this clear answer, which would be like my heart's exploding and uh, I'm terrified and I have fear that I'll do this and people will judge me or something that would be more therapeutic to say. I instead, uh, to get the energy off me, there's the other one, there's another woman in the group that has, you know, a lot of the first group, some of the second group, she's definitely been looking at me. She's been making eye contact with me. And so I say kind of nonchalantly, like, why would I have air sex with her when that woman, the woman I kind of point at her has been eye fucking me for the entirety of the last two groups, <laughs> which is, you know, a little deflective. Um, sometimes, you know, as someone who's both been in and facilitate a lot of groups, there's not like a, a precise comment to kind of just like set the whole group on fire a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so the woman uh, very aptly responds, uh, I fuck you. 
I fucking hate you. Yeah, so the energy just flips around completely <laughs> yeah, and gets thrown serious. back in your we, face. Yeah, it went from like possibility of like some air sex to like, I guess early on group two, she hates me. And I'll never forget uh, the line that the facilitator said was um, the line between love and hate is a very thin line. And uh, I still remember the, at that point, I don't think the tension in the group could really be contained. And so from that point, it just basically exploded into chaos. <laughs> Dissolved into chaos. Yeah. Complete chaos. So, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't get to tell that story a lot. Like, who do you tell that story to? Um, but uh, I remember I told my wife about it like two years later. And she's like, what? Like, you what? Like, you go and do what? And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not, that's not actually a very typical experience, I don't think, for uh, uh, the group. But it was my experience of my first first group. So, uh, yeah, I think the other part of the story that I want to include is, so, you know, you, you go to lunch, you come back, you do two more groups. And, and me and both of the women end up doing some pretty decent work with each other during the day. So the facilitator helped us kind of like work through things, talk through things a little bit. I would say with the woman that I had the more... Um, emotionally laden experience, there was still a high level of tension between the two of us. The one who said that she hated you. She said she hated me. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you end, um, okay. And come back the next morning, everybody comes back except this woman. Ooh. Yeah. So, so then it's like second day group one and basically everyone's using this other term that I'm not uh, that familiar with, but basically saying like, I killed this woman out of the group or I helped her suicide herself out of the group. It was like, you know, you gotta remember, like I'm not used to these words and they're intense. And you can kind of, even from the first group of the morning, you can sense this like anger or hatred growing towards me in the group. And, uh, yeah, it was t- it was an intense. It was an intense experience. It's really intense and it's like I think it's good for listeners to realize and I want to dive this more in our next segment too that the operating assumption is that group brings out these like kind of regressive, you know, old kind of primal parts of yourself that even though, you know, obviously this person isn't going to kill herself or like be killed, it's like the feeling is so intense that she's acting it out by not showing up again. And the idea is that as group therapists, we're trying to study those patterns in ourselves so we can be more present, you know, for the people that we do work with in our practices. Yeah, that's a, a good, this, those are good words to put for it. For me, I, I think I keep a lot of it as like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. And uh, I learned a lot from that experience that I have a lot of work to do with women in a therapy setting. So that was something that I think really I took away from that, which was helpful to me. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about that? Like what came up for you? Um, yeah, you know, I had to be careful because I probably have some thoughts that might be different than maybe the general population, but I probably think there is a difference between sometimes between the way men behave and the way women behave or the way, when a man says something to a woman, the way it can be received. And so, so, so again, I had, I had mostly, 
I lived with all guys in college. I worked in the car business, which is a gruff, like mm. super direct business. Um, had done group therapy with only guys. And so like the level of intensity and directness that I was used to in all settings, but even in therapy settings was pretty high. And so I think it was, I was quickly becoming aware of like some of the ways in which I said things or was able to process things didn't work for a lot of the women in the group. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there are, you know, gender differences. I think that there are societal rules. I think that there are norms. And it's really interesting to go to a place like AGPA where in group we're actively, especially with groups that they do, which for those listeners are called interpersonal process groups, where you're trying to really deconstruct a lot of that. And the, really the only goal is to put your thoughts and feelings into words, which means try to be as honest as possible, even if what you're feeling or thinking is like not okay or like not polite or not um, how, how you have a conversation. There's a lot of um, real interesting things to be gained from learning what's going on unconsciously, what's going on underneath the surface during group dynamics. Um, we're going to move into our break coming up here, but we'll talk a lot more about that in our second segment around yeah, what, what goes on in group dynamics? What, what goes on underneath the surface under like polite conversation, whether that be in a family, in a friend group or in a workplace? Yeah, I agree. And then a, a second segue is this idea that I touch base with this woman the next year um, and have a conversation with her. And then I still have to tell the story of that same week meeting you. There's a lot to cover. <laughs> that, that's my favorite part of the story. Okay, we're going to move into our break, um, and we'll catch you on the other side. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's one 888 
346-9141 or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And I'm sitting with Jeff, and we're just like reminiscing about weird times at the American Group Psychotherapy Association. Um, before a commercial break, from now on, if I get invited back, I always want to be Jeff from the number two ranked podcast of From the Ashes. Just make sure you include that. Oh, always number two, right? <laughs> <laughs> Perpetual silver medalist. Um, so before we went to break, you were going to tell the story, uh, continuing of what happened after you, uh, you know politely declined air sex uh, with a group member, learned that somebody hated you, um, met me at lunch, um, and then followed up with this woman later. Uh, Keep telling the story. What was your experience going to this kind of like therapy group for therapists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the only thing that I would add to this story, I'll I'll leave meeting you out, but uh, the second part of the story is, so some part of me is crazy enough that I go back to this conference a second year. Like, you know, like I think there's something inside of me that kind of like moves towards chaos. And so of course, like where else am I going to get that kind of chaos other than go back and do another Institute. And so uh, inside of that, I get an email as like the next, I think the first one that I went to was in New York city. I want to say the next one was in Houston. I get an email from this person who has the first name of the, the woman that went for a day and then dropped out. And she reached out and says, hey, are you going to Houston? And I am going to Houston. And so we were not in the same institute. But uh, during my first day at Institute, we went and grabbed lunch together. And uh, yeah, at lunch, she basically said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so angry at you during the first day of our Institute last year. I intentionally didn't go back for the second day. So everyone in the group would hate you. Oh, she did that intentionally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, like, this is like real. This is like real live, like people who are like, when I think about a lot of my group members, they're not, they're not doing, they don't know enough about group to do things to like cause other people to have feelings towards other people. I was like, this is legit. (laughs) <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah well because because as therapists i think what you're saying is like we know the impact of social things like we do yeah. have a view especially i think as group therapists we have a view of dynamics um kind of more of a bird's eye view about what's going on in a room and know like what acting out will result in you know yeah and so then i i guess uh if i was to kind of follow your flow of like You know, so like now what do I do? Like, what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, one of the things I would make a comparison of is this idea of like what happens in an institute versus what happens in a recurring weekly therapy group that I'm in two of now. And so as I'm kind of learning like, oh, man, I have a lot of work to do with women because it's been this neglected part of my wife. The only woman I really ever interacted with my whole life was my mom. Um, so time to get like some new experiences. And so as I start to go and do weekly regular therapy groups, I would say the sexual energy is very toned down. It's almost like the difference I would say between like a hookup versus like dating someone. It's like a very different experience. I don't know if that's been your experience, but uh, significantly different. Yeah. I think it's been my experience too around just around group in general. I mean, when you do something for two weeks, so, so my, uh, two days, 
my experience is a little bit different, right? I have a pattern of just jumping in and saying like crazy shit or like <laughs> fighting with somebody in the first group, in the first like 20 minutes, because I get bored. I get bored. I really struggle to deal with like slowness in my life and, and, and in a group. So I want to just make something happen. So I'll say shit. Sometimes I'll say shit that I don't even really believe, like just to like kind of like get it going, you know, or just like to call someone out based on like no information whatsoever. Like, oh, this is like your problem, you know? Um, and then usually I get scapegoated, I get blasted, and then I get shut down. And then over time, I kind of re back. Uh, open up. So in uh, the long-term group, you know, that, that we're, we're both in the same group, long-term group. Um, in that I've had to like really temper that. I think you've seen me do that a little bit in the group. Um, really temper that thing because I'm like, Oh man, I got to be in a relationship with these people yes. for everything changes when you for realize, a long time. I'm going to see these people next week and the week after that and the week after that. And so I think that it makes it I have found while there are some benefits to that short-term burst, I probably do significantly better work for myself in a long-term therapy group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like I think so too. I've been doing AGPA for almost 10 years now. I think like nine years or Denver might be number 10. And I I'm almost done with it because I know what the first, you know, whatever, 20 hours a group is. I don't know what happens at hour like 120 or hour 500 or, you know, and the groups that we do, those listeners, you're probably not familiar with it. They're kind of designed to go on like for your entire life, right? They're like, isn't really like an end goal. I think a lot of people experience with therapy groups are like, you know, six weeks on relationships or, you know, do a 10 week mindfulness course. But these groups are, they just don't end, right? I mean, they just go on forever, which is a huge commitment. It's a huge deal, actually. Yeah. And I think it does, you know, it, it does for me, it frames the question that I think I, I ask, I'm sure most of my clients ask, because I think, you know, sometimes in that in what you're talking about, most people who are, who are doing therapy in some degree are thinking about solution focused therapy. Yeah. Yep. And as you move towards a longer term frame, you have to ask yourself, do I, do I wholeheartedly commit and believe that putting my thoughts and feelings into words will grow my capacity to live a more, a life with more satisfaction, to create more connections with people. And so like, if you believe that, then yes, it makes sense that you can be in a weekly group for the rest of your life, always working on putting your thoughts and feelings into words. Yeah. I don't know if, I I think me and you probably are two people that I can sometimes believe that because kind of like the theory of it. And then I can other times think like, fuck this, I'm going to burn it down. Yeah, and I'm definitely stuff. in the same in the same camp. Like sometimes it feels like it works. Sometimes I'm not sure, but then I'm aware of like, you know, if the medicine is working, you're not going to have symptoms, right? Right. Well, I don't, I don't know that I hold that. I don't know that I would say that. Like, you know, like life still runs on a sine curve, and so there's still ups and downs, but I think on this, the question is more, is life better as you're working on putting your thoughts and feelings into words, as you're going up and down the sine curve, not, it's like a flat line that's always at the top. And so I think for me, sometimes when I'm going up and down, I can start to think, wait a second, is this actually helping? And so you kind of have to kind of 
suss out a little bit the idea of, is this just life and I've got to work through the struggle of it? Or is this like not working and I need to figure some, find some magic pill. I think that's what everybody ultimately wants is the magic pill. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's helped me be more okay with the sine curve. Yeah. You know, and I think it's helped me um, emotionally contain a lot more in my life, you know, and not be so codependent with my friends or not be, you know, bring a lot of unprocessed things to them. I like having a group and more specifically the individual therapist. I'm still trying to figure out how to actually utilize the group for this, but my individual therapist has been literally life-changing for me in allowing me to be more present with my friends and to be able to engage with the people that I love and care about from just a more grounded place because I give that person the rawness, you know? Um, and then I can do the conflict resolution with the people in my life. It contains a lot of the hurt, I think, that I could inflict on them or have inflict on them sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, we're kind of doing this on the fly. So I'm just kind of thinking about this out loud, kind of verbal processing, but I'm thinking, yeah, as I've done more and more therapy, I'm aware that my group therapy does help me be a better therapist, significantly better. So, you know, like, yeah, I think if you're a therapist, group therapy has helped me significantly be a better therapist. I would say for me, it's helped me a lot with my marriage. It's helped me create and cultivate intimacy and be a little less kind of like probably like explosive or Molotov cocktail-y. So those are the two relationships it's helped. I would say it significantly deteriorated my relationship with my parents. Like I've, I've become much more aware of all that sits in that relationship. Um, and then it's probably hurt most of my relationships with my friends. Like I would say for me, really? Yeah. I would say for me, my friendships are like kind of like built on this, like I'm a crate. I'm I did crazy stuff, you know, and I was wild. And so as you start to then get older and work on this idea of like, I'm going to be more processed. I'm going to work on like talking more like, when I go back and hang out with my old friends, they're like, wait, we want that old, we want the old crazy guy. Like we don't want this like professor. Um, and so for me, I don't know, I would say most of my friends would say I've matured a lot, but I don't know that that's a preferential statement. Right. It sounds like it's like less fun. Less fun. Yeah. yeah. The therapy life is probably a less fun life. I would agree with that. I, I think it's less, well, it's less reckless. It's less reckless and it's less. <laughs> it's like, like you, start, you start to get these words that are like, are they the same thing? Right. Like yeah. it's fun and reckless, but yeah, like you start to mix up these words and yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe for us, maybe for our personality, reckless is part of what makes life fun. It was for a lot of my life, right. Of just like taking risks, not having regrets, like not thinking about stuff, like just kind of like going balls to the wall on something I said that that was fun, but I, I've, I've also discovered new types of fun since being in therapy and since being a therapist, like, you know, building something together with a partner or building something with friends or being more organized or planning a trip or having like a deep conversation or having like a really nice dinner with somebody, you know, like stuff that I would consider would be like really boring, you know, 10 years ago. Um, I don't think I could tolerate it unless I did therapy. I think I would, it would be too slow for me and too like, intimate, you know, for me to actually be able to enjoy. Yeah. 
you're, you're kind of swinging me towards the, the positive things of therapy. And yeah, I agree with you. And some of the negative things are probably the idea that like, I'm less reckless. I'm less impulsive. Like I analyze things more. And so those things, um, sometimes I think I look back and I'm like, yeah, like life was easier. You know, it's, it's, yeah, for me, I think the more I do therapy, the more I'm like, there's not really an answer to any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess for me, it's, it's, it's more responsibility. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. something like, like group or like AGPA or even just reading a freaking book about therapy. It's like, you can't unlearn that. Mm. Right. I mean, for me, my sobriety is a big part of that. Like I can't, I can't mask it. I can't just like get drunk and be reckless or get high and be like, oops, sorry. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. Like I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, it's like, it's, it's changed me fundamentally as a person. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that because I'm not blind to impact, you know, and I'm not blind to, consequences in the same way that I was for a lot of my life. Yeah, that's well said. You're definitely taking us up the high road, which I like. What's the low road? <laughs> the low road is more just evolving back towards some type of chaos, preferring the old way, I think. So there's, there's, there's like a grief, right? There's a grief of like not wanting to lose that, that old way. Yeah, probably. There's some... There's something even as like we're talking where I'm like, oh, you know, but man, that was the, some of that stuff that I did that was crazy. Sure was fun. Sure was fun. Yeah, I'm not minimizing that. <laughs> yeah. It was dumb and fun, right? And yeah. dumb and dumb. And there's always there's a place for dumb and fun. I guess, yeah, I mean, I've just found, again, maybe it's me maturing or going through therapy. I found a lot of meaning in being responsible for things and then committing. And these are just, just new feelings that I just didn't have, you know, mm. 10 years ago. And I was very like responsibility and commitment avoidant, but to like be able to commit to something and like go deep into something has been way more meaningful than just like, you know, flitting about and, and lighting fires. Yeah. 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 I don't think like if I think about all the ways in which we're similar, I can't logically argue with what you're saying. It's true. It's more probably this idea of like, and there's some part of me that still just wants to be reckless, I think. So I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I'm just aware of like what's happening inside as I'm hearing you kind of give the like logically true and correct answer. Right. It's like, I don't want to fucking grow up. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, like, I mean, that's fair. fair. That's some Peter Pan in me, I guess, you know, like, uh, yeah, something like that. So, but yeah. that's probably like that's its own work of just like dying and grieving and realizing that like life is not fixed on a single point. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And that there's, there's hope, I think, moving forward. I mean, get, the, the big thing for me, like I said, it, it unlocked feelings and experiences that I were, couldn't even comprehend until I had them, mm -hmm. you know? And I think going back to group, that's what, has been good for me about group is that you hear as a member, a lot of different people's experiences and you feel a lot of things that I've spent my whole life trying not to feel. And all of a sudden they're just like pouring out of somebody else. And I get to see how my system responds to that. Like in my good moments, am I compassionate and understanding? Sometimes in my bad moments, which have, you know, you've seen happening in group. I just want to like 
tell them to shut the fuck up and like get over it. Right. Or I get afraid or I get judgmental or whatever. Right. I mean, as a member, you get to see how these different things hit you and what your system just does almost automatically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I'm kind of, I think you're reinforcing for me the value of group therapy where I am in the room living life, whether it's short-term or long-term with different people and having to like do that. And that is probably good for me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not reckless at all. <laughs> no, it's not. So. We're going to go into our uh, second commercial break here. Uh, for those of you listening, um, if you're liking what you're hearing, it really helps to give us a review on iTunes, five stars. If we deserve it. Uh, give us one more listens because Jeff wants to maintain uh, being number two, most popular yeah, yeah. episode. So get this you know, number three. Yeah, get number three. Just like keep <laughs> playing it over and over again. You don't even have to listen to it. Just like start it over and over again to get those metrics up. Um, and then uh, share it on social media. Share it with people that you think might benefit from it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the other side of the break. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and we're just talking about therapists and therapy <laughs> and how we, the weird stuff that we do in order to um, better serve our clients and to be not just better therapists, but I think better people. Um, we were talking a little bit over the break of pulling back the curtain of what it's like to be a group leader. It's something that I've craved as a member 
Um, I've craved it in the group that we're in of just being like, hey, leader, like, what are you, what's going through your head, man? Like, what are you thinking about? What do you think about me? What do you think about the group? What are you looking for? Um, so I think it might be a benefit for people um, listening if they're in group therapy to hear what, you know, like how we lead, you know, what are we, what's our perspective on it? Yeah. And even before you say that, it does take me back to like the behind the curtain version of some, I, I think uh, I now do a couple presentations. I've done a couple presentations around how to start therapy groups. And so um, for me, the number one thing that I put on, you want to lead a therapy group, you've got to be in a therapy group. hundred percent. hundred percent agree. Yeah. The reason I didn't know that when I was going back uh, to school to become a group therapist, but I want to say like, 85 to 90% of the things that I do facilitating a group are almost like things I've watched and learned from the various experiences I've had facilitating groups. I mean, that might be a little high just because I'm still an individuated person who kind of does my own thing and kind of shoots from the hip. But man, like a lot of what I'm doing is what I'm watching my facilitators do in my groups and thinking like, did that work? Did that not work? Do I want to try that? And so that would be that would be the one thing that I would say to anybody who's listening that wants to do therapy groups is you've got to be in a group. Yeah, I think if you want to join a group, you should ask your potential therapist, are you a member of your own group? Yeah, especially another, right. Yeah. yeah. Especially if it's like if you're signing for something that's like a long term commitment, right? Like a year or more commitment. If that person says no, like was that wasn't really for me, then don't join their group. Yeah. It's Don't kind do of, it. You're saying that reminds me. I always say when people are like, who should I go see as my therapist? I always say the first question you should ask is who's your therapist? Because man, just weird stuff happens when people I think aren't doing their own work. So that's a well, well-spoken point. Um, but yeah. So if I, if I go past my pitch of, you know, people might be listening to this and wanting to facilitate or start their own groups and how important it is to be in a group yourself or doing your own work as a therapist. Um, the other part I would say when I think about pulling back the curtain is I like to use numbers that are probably I'm making up on the spot, but um, I would say 50% of the time, I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing in group as the leader. Like, I think that's one of the things that I like the most about group. Like when I, when I compare individual to group, right? Me talking to another person, it's just me. And I can work with them and help them the best I know, but that's all I have. I think for me, behind the curtain, I'm often, if we think about the global work of the group, the global work of the work, the, the group is to, as we're working on putting our thoughts and feelings into words, we're helping our group members put their thoughts and feelings into words. But I think the subcontext of that is I want to train my group members to become a bunch of mini therapists, kind of like ungrad school therapists. And what I have found is my best groups are when there's a bunch of people who kind of start to think like a therapist. And so they're like making observations of other group members. They're interpreting other group members. And suddenly like, I'm not, I've kind of like worked myself out of the job, but the group members haven't really realized that. And those, that's like the, I think for me, that's the ultimate behind the curtain is like, once I've had a group and it's been going, man, starting your group is hard. 
But once you get a group going and working and people are engaged and invested and start to get like, how do I observe someone? How do I give someone feedback? How do I interpret something? How do I do all this stuff? Once they start doing it, my job becomes barely easy. Probably shouldn't say that out loud, but that's kind of the truth of it in my opinion. No, I, I agree completely. I mean, I forget it was one of these famous group leaders, but he said, you know, people are ready to graduate the group when they can do your job, right? Yeah. When they or can run me, their own group. That's when I don't want them to graduate the group because that's what makes it the best group. Like I don't want them to graduate out because uh, what I have seen is, man, when you, the, the difference between adding a group member to a high functioning group where you have a bunch of people who know how to do group you can watch someone kind of what I would say change very, very quickly. Yeah. Whereas if you put a bunch of people into a brand new group, the, the, the wheels of change are significantly slower. Yeah. I think it's really important that people change so quickly in group. If it's working, it's it's really, really powerful. Um, Yeah. I mean, I try to do a lot of that. I try to get people to genuinely care about each other to see like how that's flowing I think I have, you know, the luxury, the way my practice is set up is that many of my group members are also my individual clients. So I have a lot of knowledge about them that the other group members don't. So when they're talking about these patterns in their life, these, you know, dynamics in their relationships or in their family and their friend groups that really hurt them or that really keep them stuck, I'm making note of that as that's playing out in the therapy group because it will, it's guaranteed will every single time. So I'm making note of that, let it play out a couple times and then slowly bring awareness to that. I think that's like the, that's mainly what I'm doing. It's saying like, are, are you doing the thing again? Like, are you getting stuck in the thing again that you always get stuck in? And I, I intervene a lot more than, you know, the leader of our group. I, I get in there and say like, hey, you're doing it. Like the thing that you talk to me about is happening right now. Like, you know, pause and look at what's what you're feeling, what, what you're thinking about, what, what's, you know, what's making this pattern play out again and again. Could you tell me how much it is, how uh, harmful it is to you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm in wholehearted agreement. Um, the, I think the the art of that, when I think about what you're saying, which is like, and I think this is something that probably on the, on the pre side of being a group therapist, I would never have known of the dilemma of doing like individual couples work with someone and having them in a group. Yeah. In this like, or I think what you're talking about is like, you kind of are saying like, I'm going to stop you and say like this thing that you're talking about, it's like happening now. And I think for me, like some of the most interesting dilemmas for me as a group therapist are like, when I know what this person or the person's wife has told me, and then they come into group and they present like they have no problems. And you're just like, what do you do with that? You know, like what, like, you, you know, like, I think that is some of the work of just containing yourself and letting that person slow. Cause like what you said, like they ultimately reveal themselves. And sometimes for me, I can get angry or frustrated that like that process takes way longer than I would want it to in the hope that change is on the other side of that for that, that client. Yeah, I think that's true. It can definitely be frustrating to like have a client that has like, you know, the big thing in their life, whether it be like, you know, a trauma or something they struggle with daily or a mental illness or I mean, whatever it is. And it takes like a year for them to actually say it in the group. Yeah. And then why, as a leader, we're just sitting there being like, 
Okay, I get you're talking about like your work stress, but like you haven't talked about like your crippling depression, right? Or like your cocaine habit or like the affair you just told me about like two weeks ago, yeah. right? Like Wild. really, you're going to talk about like you, you don't know what car to buy? Like that's what you're worried about? Right. Yeah. But it's interesting to see and to make that part of someone's work, I think, is the art of yeah. being a good therapist rather than being like, dude, come on or lady, come on, depending on, I work with more, mostly men still, but, uh, um, there was something else as we were talking and then that just kind of floated out. Uh, so I'll kick it back to you. I had something that I was going to say that was like this other thing, but I don't remember what it was now. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think safety is interesting and, and I think it's interesting as a group leader and as a group member to see kind of the, the persona that we put on, with other people. And it's so interesting for me to see, cause I see them in both contexts of how different people are when other people are watching. And, and as a member, how different I am in my group versus how I am, you know, with my individual therapist or how I am with my friends, with my family and group really helped me to just take everything really lightly almost, right? Like to not, not trust, I don't know if that's the right word, but maybe not like attached to any particular version of anybody because it just varies so, so much. It's wild, really, what people present and what they, you know, conceal. Yeah. And you were picking up on that. And then as you did that, I remembered what I was going to say. So I'll jump back. You know, one of the other things I would say, um, kind of a behind the curtains thing that I've learned as I've kind of done more group. Uh, I don't know. I did a lot of couples therapy. I kind of referenced that a lot. Um, and in my couples therapy, believe it or not, I did it in a bunch of different formats, which is like most couples therapists, it's kind of like the therapist is sitting across from you and me and my wife would sit on the sofa across from the therapist. And then after doing that for a long time, we then, it was like later in life and we were like, Hey, we want to kind of go do some marital therapy to work on a couple of things. And I did this marital therapy where the therapist kind of sat at like the bottom of a T and then my wife and I sat facing one another. Yeah. And the entire session was just my wife and I talking to each other. And the therapist was just kind of like, and so I started doing that as I became a therapist because it was so different and meaningful. It became less about, therapy became less for my wife and I about coming to a therapist, reporting our problem and getting it kind of like fixed or solved to us learning how to talk to each other to resolve what our issue was. Mm -hmm. And so I do therapy that way with couples now, and it influences a lot of the way that I facilitate group, which is I'm often spending a lot of my time and energy getting people to stop talking about things and to start talking directly to other group members mm -hmm. in the thought that as they start to learn to do that in the group, they'll start to do that more in every aspect of the li their life. It's kind of, to me, the second wheel of putting your thoughts and feelings into words. Uh, if that's the first wheel, the second cog would be this idea of if you can learn how to effectively talk to someone to tell them what your feelings are, what you want, what you need, life will improve for you. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I think that is, I think that's true. And I think group is a place that is hopefully a little bit safer for members 
to do conflict resolution, to say vulnerable things, to ask for, you know, things they might be insecure about, or they might not even have fully formed, right? Of like, you know, I don't, I just, I think I just need attention, right? Or like, I think I just need you to be nice to me, or I think I just, or maybe I need you to fight me, right? I mean, just to really get clear about what's going on underneath the hood um, in a place that is, you know, more contained uh, and, and, and protected. I mean, I think it's really powerful. I think that, and I agree completely that that skill changes lives almost, I would say universally. I mean, I'm sure there's some weird edge cases, but I think universally being able to directly talk to somebody is, is life-changing. It's a superpower. It's a superpower. And it's, you know, that takes us back to something that we're talking about in the middle of our, in the second break, which is this idea of like, does this help? And yeah, when I think about it that way, like it does help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Begrud- I, think it- I begrudgingly 20 minutes later came alongside, came alongside you and agreed. <laughs> and like, I guess, I guess. And, and I can say, you know, from my experience, it, it helps, but it has, at least in the short term, you know, I think her relationship with my parents in some ways, I think it has, you know, maybe a lonelier because again, it's like that looking glass experience. It's like once I saw how conversations could happen in a group format specifically, yeah. every other conversation, I'm like, oh, we're just talking about stuff, right? So just like what you're saying, like we're not actually connecting to each other at all. We're just like talking about some external thing or we're just, um, we're, we're avoiding talking about what's actually happening, right? We're, we're just killing time. Um, and that's not true, but that's what it felt like um, in my group journey of like, oh, I'm missing so much. There's so much here. And it's just every minute, it's just kind of like blasting, blowing past me, you know? Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, I resonate with this idea of there's the difference between telling stories or talking about something and then connecting and talking to people. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a different way of relating. And I think for whatever reason, we're not born that way, or at least I wasn't born into a family that does that relates that way. And so I had to be taught it. And I'm, I am thankful for group and helping me learn how to do that. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. So we have to start to wrap up here. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, hopefully it gets to number two or number three. Yeah, this is number two. Like, should we call out our cryptocurrency uh, picks so that we can have them on record for like, <laughs> I'm digressing at the moment. Go ahead. Continue. Those of you that we're, we are also a crypto buddies. We have, we have a chain of uh, crypto degenerates that, um, that just bet uh, with each other. Um, I'm, I'm all in on Cardano. That's the one, that's the one that I'm, I'm racing for. Um, right. dot for the record. Polkadot. Okay. But Jeff, yeah, as we're wrapping up here, can you tell people um, where they can find you? If they want to contact you, if they have any questions, if they want to sign up for a group, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, no doubt. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you are happen to be listening to this in Nashville, Tennessee, and want to do an in-person group with me, just search for Jeff Grossman Counseling and uh, you'll find me and I hope you'll reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having you. I'd um, love to have you back to keep threading on it. These always <laughs> go faster. You know, we can, for, we can talk forever. Um, listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next week on From the Ashes. <music> 
Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.